This episode of The Real Fit Podcast is brought to you by The Real Nourished Newsletter. Real Nourished, reinventing your relationship with food, is for you if you are ready to stop micromanaging your food and exercise so you can start fully showing up to your life. Each biweekly issue features evidence-based tools that will help reduce your food-related anxiety, improve your body image, and help you embrace exercise as a form of nourishment, not punishment. When you subscribe, you'll get my free guide, 11 Things You Can Do Right Now to Feel Better About Your Body. To get in on it, just click on the link in the show notes or visit my website, pam-more.com. What matters to me? How do I measure success? What feels right to me in this moment? What do I want to explore? What am I curious about? Where do I find joy? And sometimes listening to yourself in that way can mean taking a risk, which is inherently scary. But that is where the magic is. Welcome to Real Fit, a podcast featuring real conversations with women athletes on topics including body image, confidence, enoughness, and so much more. I'm your host, Pam Moore. I'm an occupational therapist turned freelance health and fitness writer, weight neutral health coach, certified personal trainer, and a mom of two. And like you, I don't have time for bullshit. I created this show for every busy, badass woman who struggles with the question, am I enough? I'm here to tell you that you are. My goal is to share stories that will inspire you and let you know you're not alone. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Real Fit Podcast. And if you like what you're hearing and you want to help me cover my costs so I can keep bringing awesome content to your earbuds, you can show your gratitude by treating me to a coffee. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash Pam Moore. You can also find that link in the show notes. Hey, welcome back to the Real Fit Podcast. This is your host, Pam Moore. I am recording as usual in my home office in sunny Boulder, Colorado, and I happen to be recording this episode on Valentine's Day. It's Valentine's Day 2022, which is a holiday that I'll admit, even though I know it's a bunch of consumerist hallmark BS, I love it. I really do. I have really fond memories of coming downstairs for school on the morning of Valentine's Day when I was a kid. My mom would have left me a note and some candy. And as I got older, you know, some years my dad would send me flowers. One year my parents, as a Valentine's gift, bought me a new door for my condo. It was a Pella roll screen storm door with a push of a button. It could be a screen door or a storm door. And it was probably one of the most unromantic and unique Valentine's gifts a young woman could receive. But I really loved it and I felt very loved. I will say that gifts are one of my main love languages. And also, I met my husband, Dan, on Valentine's Day. We have been married for over 12 years, and I know I annoy the shit out of him, and he annoys the shit out of me, to be honest, but he loves me, and I I mean, we he's a real partner. I feel really, really grateful to have him in my life, and we met on Valentine's Day at a bar, rest in peace, Connor O'Neill's, a great place that is no longer there. They used to have this annual anti-Valentine's Day party, and I had just moved to Boulder from Rhode Island two weeks before. I 
barely knew anybody. My roommates invited me. I was unemployed. I was burning through my savings. The job I'd kind of come out for, come out here for, which I knew it was tenuous, it ended up falling through completely less than a week after I started. So here I am, like no friends, no job, running out of money quickly. Like I was the total catch. <laughs> I was 29 and I never had a serious boyfriend. You know, all my friends were moving in with their boyfriends, they're getting engaged, they're getting married, I'm being a bridesmaid again and again and again, and constantly asking myself, what's wrong with me? Why am I still single? I'd been in relationships, you know, I'd dated guys, and looking back, I, I do think that I loved some of them, but I don't know that I was in love. I was never in a relationship where we would say, I love you to each other, you know, we didn't spend holidays or any time with each other's families, never had somebody that it was like a given that we were going to be each other's plus one for parties or weddings or things like that. Um, and so I'm, I'm 29. I've never really had a true committed relationship. And one of my deepest insecurities was that something was seriously wrong with me. I was seriously wondering if I was completely unlovable. And because I've always been a hard worker, you know, I like to make things happen. I don't mind chipping away. I don't mind grinding away. So I just thought, well, I'll approach dating the same way I do everything else. I'm just going to like try really, really, really hard. So if somebody set me up on a blind date, I was there. If there was a party, I was there. My friends invited me somewhere, I was there. I cannot tell you how many Friday nights I was so tired I could barely stand up, barely keep my eyes open, and I would go out because I was telling myself, I'm never going to meet somebody if I'm sitting on my couch. I was on Match. I was on J-Date. If I was going to be single for the rest of my life, I did not want it to be because I hadn't tried. And I was afraid that I was going to miss an opportunity. Like Fear was a huge driver for me. And then I moved to Boulder almost on a whim. And it, you know, it had nothing to do with fear. It had everything to do with like this feeling of, even though this is terrifying, it is terrifying. It also feels right. And when I met Dan, it was so obviously right. Like there were no games. When I met him, you know, we'd been talking and he's a really good listener, which was really good because I have a lot to say. And said to him, hey, you know, I just moved here. I don't really know anybody yet, but I love to set people up. You know, what kind of girl are you looking for? Um, well, I guess I started, I remember I asked him, how old are you? And he said he was 31. I said, what do you do? He said he was a software developer. I didn't even know what software was, but I thought, well, like, that sounds fancy. <laughs> I mean, and he has a job. That, that sounds good. And I was like, well, you know, what kind of girl are you looking for? you know, what are your, what are your criteria? And he said, okay, I think he said between the ages of like 27 and I don't know, 30 something. I remember that. He said she should be, she should be outdoorsy. But okay, check. Like I like, I like doing things outside. He said she should be smart. She should be kind. And like, as an afterthought, he was like, um, and she should be beautiful. And I said, I know someone for you, <laughs> me. So I was like, let me give you my number. So I took, a, I took his phone. I put my number in and I mean, that was it. The next day, that was a Thursday night. The next day was a Friday and he texted me at one o'clock, good luck, because he had remembered that I had a 1.30 job interview. I called him after the interview. You know, I told him how it went. We made plans for the next night. That was a Saturday. And then on Monday, he called me and he said something like, hey, I'm kicking off, you know, he worked for himself. So he was like, it's a beautiful day. I'm going to go for a hike. 
would you like to join me? I would like to spend more time with you or I would like to spend time with you or something like that. And he just, he just put it out there. There was no mystery about it. There was no weird, flirty, what does this mean? Calling all my friends, like, can we interpret this? You know, used to be like, I spent half my free time, like trying to interpret these emails and messages that I was like, acting like an archaeologist, trying to decipher hieroglyphics of like, what does this guy mean? Does he like me? And it was like, no, he literally said he wanted to spend time with me. And that is one of the things I've always loved about him is he is super straightforward. But the relationship, it just it just was easy. And I remember telling my mom, I was like, I've met this guy. I think we're going to get married. And she was like, oh, great. She's like, should I plan the wedding? Like we'd known each other like three or four months. And I was like, well, not yet. I was like, I know. He doesn't know yet. And she said, is he perfect? And I said, well, no one's perfect, but he's perfect for me. And I still think that he is. And I think that I met him when I did because I was in a really good place. I just moved cross country by myself, knowing virtually no one. I'm on this like huge, scary, what felt like a huge, scary adventure, making a choice that was not based on fear, which had been my MO in so many ways for so long, but instead honoring my intuition. And intuition is not some woo-woo thing. It's just that little voice inside of us that can be really hard to hear over all the noise. But you know it's there. You know how you feel when you get an invitation and you know when it's a hell yes and you know when it's a no thank you. But things like habits, fears, other people's expectations of us, whether those are real or perceived, those can really get in the way of tuning into our intuition But before moving out here to Colorado, I'd basically just said, F you to my fears. I am going to do what feels right, even if it's scary, which it was. I'd been living in Rhode Island at the time, which is where I'm from. And I had actually been wanting to move to California for a while, also very scary. And the reason I never did it was because I was too scared. But I was getting my license to practice OT out there. I was kind of low-key looking for jobs online. And at that time, this was fall of 2007. Like I moved out here in the very beginning of 08. So it was the fall of 07. I did this Arizona bike tour. It was a greater Arizona bicycling association trip. And we biked from like Laughlin, Nevada, Laughlin, Laughlin. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but like somewhere in basically the border of Nevada and Arizona all the way to the eastern edge of Arizona. It was incredible. It was like just so beautiful. And that was another thing that I did just because I felt like it. I found out about this trip. I had a really flexible job. I was able to just take a week off and I tried to get a couple of my friends to go. They didn't want to or they couldn't take the time off work or whatever. So I was just like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to go. And I met some amazing people on that trip, one of whom ended up being the person who suggested I at least visit Boulder before I made up my mind about California. And I really don't know if I would have ended up here if I had not like by chance ridden bikes with this guy. He was from here and he was just telling me how amazing of a place it would be for a triathlete. And that was like October. In December, I visited. I interviewed for a bunch of jobs. They were all in Denver because there were no jobs to apply for for OTs in Boulder at that time. But I spent some time here. And for one thing, there was a very different vibe between the city of Boulder and the city of Denver. And like, Boulder just felt right. I got here and I just knew it. I was like, this place has a certain energy. Like, this is right for me. And there was all these reasons not to do it. You know, I had that one friend who had suggested I at least visit, but he was married. He had two kids. He was not going to be like my best friend. Then I also had an actual bestie. She's still one of my best friends. And She was living out here, but not really. Like it was an hour away that she was living and working up on this ashram. And she had already told me, 
you know, I'm pretty committed to this ashram and it doesn't leave me a lot of free time. I'm not going to see you a lot. So I, you know, I come out here basically knowing no one. The Not only were there no jobs in Boulder, the jobs that I was looking at in Denver, they weren't great. They weren't really aligned with my experience or what I really wanted to do. And I was going to have to take a major pay cut. And I had my parents who were begging me not to go. I remember like I had hooked up with this guy at like a cousin's wedding and he totally blew me off. Like I went out and visited him and like he never heard from him again. I think my mom, I looking back, I was pissed at her, but I think she was just grasping for straws. She was like, what about him? Could you go out with him again? And I was like, mom, like he totally blew me off. He like never called me again. But I look back now and I'm like, I think she was just trying to say anything to get me to stay around. And the night before I left, mom my parents threw this really nice going away party for me. And then my dad and I went to the supermarket so I could buy Luna bars and apples and, you know, car stuff. And he's not known for being the most emotive person. And I remember him saying, I'm afraid you're going to go out there and meet someone and never come back. I, mean, I don't know if he said the words like, I would really miss you, but that was clearly implied. And then, you know, the idea of just starting over in a totally new place. It was exciting, but it was also terrifying. But I had this feeling, I had a feeling that Boulder was where I was supposed to be. So I packed up my little Jetta. I put everything I could fit in there. I just like stuffed it in like a Tetris situation. And I left Rhode Island on, I remember it was a freezing January day. It was raining. It was January, 2008. I just bought this little Garmin GPS and suctioned it to my windshield. And I had some AAA tip, trip ticks for just in case. And I was a mess. Even though I part of me knew it was right, of course, there was also that part that was like, am I going to come back in six months with my tail between my legs? And I was crying like all the way to Connecticut. At that point, I stopped at a McDonald's and I stepped in dog shit, which my mom always said was good luck. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is good luck. Stopped crying, kept driving. Three days later, I showed up in Boulder in a snowstorm and it was snowing so hard that I had to stop driving. I just stopped underneath an underpass because the visibility was so bad. The next morning, it was one of these like perfect boulder. This is what happens in boulder. It dumps, right? And then the next day, the snow looks like it has little diamonds sparkling in it. The sky is bright, bright blue. And by like 11 a.m., you can see the snow. All the moisture is just kind of, you can see steam rising up off the pavement. It's just evaporating. So that's like what I woke up to the next morning. And I just felt good. I was here in this beautiful place. And it is still, 14 years later, still so beautiful to me. I am struck by it every day. And I mean, this is where I met Dan, who he's he's really my partner. I met him. I created a life here. I had my kids here. And I am convinced that it was because I decided to listen to my intuition instead of my fear. And I bring this up because intuition keeps coming up again and again and again in all my interviews on this podcast with all these really dynamic, amazing women. This idea of how important it is to listen to yourself, it keeps resurfacing. And I think it is so important in this world where our phones, like literally the whole world is like kind of in our pocket. We are bombarded by information constantly and messages of how we should live our lives and what we should do. And some of it is overt. Like some of it might be an app that tells you exactly what to eat, or it might be a clickbait headline that comes up in one of your social media feeds, or it could be an ad for a course or a coaching program, you know, that promises you this step-by-step formula for success. And then it can also be more subtle. 
right? Sometimes these messages come in the form of a simple social media post, whether from a stranger or a friend, and we have these windows into other people's lives. And for me, it can be really hard not to, on some level, maybe not consciously, but like subconsciously, I'll be comparing myself to these people or wondering if these other people have things figured out. And on a daily basis, there is at least one tweet or one Instagram post that I see, and it triggers some jealousy, And I am having to remind myself, A, hey, that's nice that they have that, but that's not even what you want. You don't need to be jealous of that. That happens. Or B, sometimes it's like, yeah, they do have what you want and and that's okay. You're on your path and they're on their path. That's fine. We're not supposed to all be on the same path. Um. And that's the thing. We, we can't all be on the same path. And as has been my experience and so many of my guests, the few that come to the top of my mind are like Allison Rothman, Colleen Cannon, Jamie Gold, Nicole DeBoom, Nell Rojas talked about this, Elise Cranny talked about this, and I will link to all these in the show notes. Um, these women have all confirmed that for them too, there is no magic formula. There is no magic bullet. There is no step-by-step plan for what's going to make you happy. Or for what's going to work for you because only you know what your intuition is telling you. And listening to it can be really hard because all these other messages can be so loud. Especially, I mean, these messages are preying on your insecurities. They're all like, let's take, oh, I don't know, the diet, (laughs) the $7 billion diet industry, for example. They are literally banking on making us believe that we are not enough as we are. And that if we just do the thing they say, you know, buy the app, eat the food, buy the diet, you know, hire the coach, that they're going to give us what we need in order to be better because we're not enough right now, right? These predatory, not all coaches, some coaches are awesome, but we all know there are like predatory coaches out there that are preying on your, the fact that we all like, we want to be more. We think we're not enough right now and somebody else is going to give us the formula to be better, and it's easy. It's seductive. It's sexy to to think somebody else can figure this out for me. It's also easy to let external metrics determine how you feel about yourself, right? Like the amount of money in your bank account, the number on the scale, the amount of social media media followers you have. Could be your athletic performance. How fast can you run? How heavy can you lift? All of those can serve as a benchmark for your progress or for your success. But those are just numbers and those are external. Those are like low-hanging fruit that you can sort of measure yourself by. But what's hard is letting go of those those external metrics and tuning in, going inward and asking yourself, what matters to me? How do I measure success? What feels right to me in this moment? What do I want to explore? What am I curious about? Where do I find joy? And sometimes listening to yourself in that way can mean taking a risk, which is inherently scary. But that is where the magic is. So I'm going to just leave you with that. That's it. (laughs) Let yourself be uncomfortable. And that's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to find out about yourself. That's what's going to leave you lead you farther down the path. Like somebody asked me – okay, fine. I was going to leave you with that, but I'm going to say a little bit more. Somebody recently asked me, um, a younger woman who's looking at a career change, she was like, how did you pivot? Like how did you know it was right, you know, professionally? And I was like, I, I didn't know. And what looks 
now in retrospect, like a big old left turn at the time was like a series of very small steps in a left-handed direction that zooming out over time adds up to this big left turn. But at the time, it felt more like I'm just like following my intuition. I'm following what I'm curious about. I'm following what brings me joy. You don't have to have all the answers figured out to do the right next thing. The only thing I think you have to do is not look to everybody else for the answers. The answers are in you. The question is just, are you listening? So thank you for listening. I know this was supposed to be a 10-minute Tuesday. It turned into more of a 20-minute Tuesday, but um, I feel like that's okay. If you like what I'm sharing with you, it would mean so much to me if you would give this podcast a five-star rating, give it a nice review on Apple, tell a friend. That's probably the best thing you could do for me is like if something resonates, just like share the link with a friend and say, hey, I I like this. I would recommend it, you know, or like take a screenshot of this right now if you're liking it and sharing it, share it on social media. Anything that you can do in that regard will help me reach more listeners and help me spread the message that you're already enough. Until next time, keep it real. Mm